Support comes from Austin Water, helping residents reduce water use while protecting Austin's precious resource during the drought conditions with MyATX Water, providing near real-time water use data, tips, and leak alerts. More at austinwater.org. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hey there, it's Elizabeth McQueen, the host of this song. And if you like hearing stories from artists about songs that blew their minds and changed their perspective on everything, then I think you'll love one of the podcasts that our sister station, KUTX, produces called The Secret Ingredient. I mean, it's not a podcast about music. It's a podcast about food, but not in the way that you might expect. The hosts, Raj Patel, Tom Philpot, and Rebecca McEnroy, interview people And those interviews will expand the way that you see food and its relationship to culture, politics, and gender. I mean, the episode about food and nationalism literally turned my brain inside out. You can find it on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. So enjoy. Okay, let's get started with the show. And welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that changed their lives. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and in this episode, we'll hear first from singer-songwriter Bridie Mons Watson, otherwise known as Soak. And then we'll hear from Josh King and Jesse Hester of the Austin band Burgess Meredith. All three of these artists talk about bands that I kind of just take for granted and these interviews made me see the bands in a totally different light. First off, Soak. She's a 20-year-old singer-songwriter from Northern Ireland whose 2015 record, Before We Forgot How to Dream, won the Irish Choice Music Prize, and for good reason. It's full of songs that are as sonically interesting as they are lyrically beautiful. I first heard her music when we started playing her song Sea Creatures here at KUTX, the radio station in Austin, Texas, where we make this podcast. And when I found out that she was 16 when the song first came out, I was floored because I don't know about you, but I was like not that hip when I was a kid. Soak came in to perform in our lovely Studio 1A. And afterwards, she told me about a song and a band and an album that showed her how expansive writing and recording music could really be. So here she is, Soak. The one I would pick, the one like when I heard the idea of this that came to mind was Fearless by Pink Floyd, which is off metal. You say the hill's too steep to climb. I don't know, it's just like, I grew up in Pink Floyd, my parents played it, like, when we were kids, me and my brothers, and even before that, apparently when I was in the womb, it's kind of weird, but they played Echoes, which is like a 20 minutes long song, off metal as well, with whale, like, talk or noises or whatever, mm-hmm. and apparently it soothed me and I stopped, like, moving about. 
Oh, so, really? Yeah. So Pink Floyd, even before you were out of the womb, Pink Apparently, Floyd. I don't even know what truth that is, but like I've been told <laughs> by my parents. That whole album really kind of, I think, because I always, it's something I come back to on a yearly basis, kind of accidentally stumble on it, and I'd be like, it's great. And when I was like writing music when I was like 13, I remember coming onto the album through going through all my parents' vinyl, um, and Fearless was like the one song I was like, wow, I want to do that, and I want to make songs like that, because it's got this whole chant at the very last minute of the song, that's a Liverpool football club chant from the like stadium. You'll never walk alone is the main line, um, and it's recorded from the stadium when it's like fades in at the end of the song. It's, oh, it's amazing. So Pink Floyd was something that you actually had heard your whole life. Yeah. Like, Literally. maybe since conception, <laughs> yeah. had heard your whole life. Um, <laughs> but you didn't start writing songs until 13. I mean, that's actually quite young to, yeah. write, to start writing songs. Um, were you playing music before you started writing songs? Like, did you learn how to play guitar, piano Kinda. before? I, I, whenever I was in first year of school, when I was like 11 or 12, was when I first took any interest in music. Before that, I never wasn't really that big a thing to me. Um, and you always got forced to like learn recorder and piano in school, and I wasn't much into that. But when I started like getting decent on like keyboards and pianos and could play melodies, got really excited about it. Um, and my dad has always played guitar forever, so I asked him to teach me how to play, and he taught me "Everybody Hurts" or "Everyone Hurts" by REM. <laughs> And, uh, that was the first yeah. song you ever learned? Yeah, it's the first song. Don't let yourself go Cause everybody cries Everybody hurts Sometimes No, I... I guess that just was my first ever hobby then. I was like, just became obsessed with it. And when I could like fluently play the instrument, I guess, I just started writing lyrics. So you, did you pretty much, as, so as soon as you were comfortable with guitar, yeah. you started writing songs? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Do you, do you think that there was a difference in the songs you were writing before you kind of recognized I so, yeah. Fearless? I think when I was starting out, I was kind of, the way I've always written up to this point is just to kind of, Originally, I was like a really shy kid, so I would write all these songs and talk about everything I was too shy to talk about in person. So I did that. Well, I've always done that. But I was kind of just playing basic chords. And then I guess when Pink Floyd came about, it gave me more of an idea about structures and melodies and how to get so much atmosphere and dynamics inside one song because their music is so like 
kind of all over the place, kind of like really smooth as well. Well, and yeah, if you're if you're talking about Pink Floyd and songwriting, and you're writing with mostly a guitar, um, it strikes me that Pink Floyd is such a production band. Yeah. Like, and one of the things that really attracted you you to that song was the production always, of Fearless, yeah. of like them kind of bringing in everything this that got chant. Going on. So did it? Did the idea of what these of what the songs that you were writing, what they would sound like? when you recorded them did that start to form yeah, in your head that's the kind of time when i started like downloading this software called mixtape or something uh-huh. and i used to re-download the demo because you got like 30 days to <laughs> re-download it all the time and like restart my computer erase all the memory and just to like without having to pay because it's like 14 and obviously per um and yeah that's when i like got really interested in producing my own stuff and like the idea of like having one fifteen pound microphone and then just recording everything and being able to transform like one like two track song like with two things in it to like drums, bass, everything. This was such a mind kind of exploding idea. Especially like you could do that in your bedroom. Just wait a while for the right day And as I rise above the tree light and the clouds I look down Hear the sound of the things you said today So that's how you started? That's how I started recording Doing like all the playing all yeah. the instruments doing bedroom I remember recording. like I used to I had a camera in my room and it was one of the old ones and you used to have to like push a latch and then when you press the shutter it made like a click and I used to use that for like tempos and stuff so I yeah <laughs> like as a metronome yeah it's oh, pretty cool wow <laughs> <laughs> and so so then when you started to do these recordings was fearless is that when fearless came into play like was it, yeah it was Kind of after hearing that and the whole metal and all the production and the noises, like you know, like I hadn't heard anything like that on, like in music, other than like movie soundtracks and stuff like that. So it was kind of a really, ooh, what's this? And then I guess when I started to record, I was exploring how to kind of achieve those kind of noises. Now when you write, is it all one thing in your head? Like, when you kind write, of. are you thinking about recording? When I write, I kind of, my specific thing is like, I want to write a full song start to finish that I can just play on guitar, and that will be 100% enough on guitar. And I always think about that before anything else, because I feel like any song, like, because it's very easy to go into the studio and overproduce just by getting excited and be like, oh, we can put this on and this, but you kind of lose the song in between all the bits whereas I guess if, I think any good song is a song you can play on just guitar like all the classics let it be everything like that you can play on one instrument it, it holds its own it holds its own yeah so I do like that but then as well there's something so exciting about going to the studio with like all these different ideas in your head I think I work really closely with my producer Tommy McLaughlin who plays in my band as well um, 
I like I'll do a demo in my room and I'll have all the ideas kind of half made and then I'll send it to him and we'll go in the studio and I'll just kind of just go mad with all these different noises and figuring out what we want to do. It's like a, just a really fun, laid back kind of experience. So fearless is kind of it was where you started in some ways. Yeah, as a kid, and it's where you continue. Do, does it continue to influence you? Yeah, I still listen. I listen on the plane coming over here from Ireland. So, do you ever get it's tired of it, or have you ever gotten no, tired of that record? I, th- I always thought it, I get. I'm really bad with music. I'm like really bad at. I don't like a lot of music. I'm really specific, and then I usually when I find a song I like, I play it to death for like a week, and then I'll hate it. I won't hate it, but I won't want to hear it for about a year. Um, I think. I don't know, things like Pink Floyd and like Bonnie Ver and Jimmy Mitchell, stuff like that. Anytime I come back to it, even when I have overplayed it to death, just kind of, you find something new or something that's really wholesome that you kind of find yourself in a little bit. And as you rise above the fear lines in his brow, you look down. I mean, it feels like probably of any band, Pink Floyd, like lives in your body. Yeah. Like it was just, it's it's been a, it's it's like a part of you. Yeah. Yeah. Gets in your head. Sea Creatures from Soak's Before We Forgot How to Dream, a song that starts with a soundscape the likes of which would have made Pink Floyd proud. And like I said, listening to her talk about Pink Floyd, it made me see the band in a different way. I mean, Pink Floyd, they're one of those bands that for me, they just are. They're embedded in the culture, so much so that I feel like I know all there is to know about them. Like, If I see a prism with a rainbow coming out of it, I think dark side of the moon. I've seen the wall. I could sing you the chorus to comfortably numb, but I had never heard metal. I'd never heard Fearless, which is a little earlier Pink Floyd, and so much more tender than what I think Pink Floyd is. I got goosebumps listening to the end of Fearless with the football chant. And this, this is what I love about making this podcast. I'm always hearing things that open me up and make me understand more about the seemingly infinite musical universe. And if Soak's story helped you widen your own musical field of vision, then please head on over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to this song. That way you can get next week's episode with Sunflower Bean and Jane Weaver delivered right to you. And while you're there, you can peruse our archive and hear people like Joss Whedon. And yes, I mean that Joss Whedon who created the world's best TV show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and directed the Avenger movies. Well, you can hear him tell you about how he's a deadhead and how he was creatively reinvigorated when he discovered the music of Shawnee Kilgore on Kickstarter. And also, while you're there, we'd love it if you left a rating or a review. Ratings and reviews help us in lots of ways. They make it easier for people to find us on iTunes, and they bolster the creative spirits of the entire This Song team. Okay, now to Jesse Hester and Josh King of the Austin band Burgess Meredith. 
They're a songwriting duo, and they create music that captures the vibrancy of mid-century American garage and pop music. And both of them talked about songs from one of the most famous creative duos ever, John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Now, usually I would kind of keep who they talked about a surprise until we started the interview, but Josh talks about the Beatles anthology, and since I personally was kind of unfamiliar about what he was talking about, I just wanted to let you know, because... The Beatles anthology, it like refers to a lot of stuff. So in 1995, there was an epic documentary released on TV about the Beatles. And at the same time, there was a three volume set of double albums released. And these were replete with rare recordings and studio outtakes. And then in 2000, there was a book that was released that went along with the documentary and the albums. So when he talks about the anthology, He's talking at once about the videos. He's also talking about the albums. It's all kind of the same thing. And now, here they are, Josh and Jesse from Burgess Mary. Maybe it's cliche, but it, the anthologies came out when I was in, the Beatles anthologies came out when I was in junior high, and that was monumental for me. The The... The track I was thinking of was In Spite of All the Danger. So that that was released, I think, officially the first time that that came out digitally was was um, was on the anthologies, and that's it's actually I guess technically it was released as a record of vinyl as the Quarrymen, uh-huh. and that was the first time John, Paul, and George ever played on an, anything together, and that was a song that that theoretically Paul wrote, which was like a little ode to Elvis. I think it was influenced by Elvis tune, and then. Um, but it's credited as McCartney and Harrison because they didn't really know how to do the credits. That I think Paul says something like this in an interview, and he Harrison wrote the solo, so he gave a, a writing credit. So it's the one one and only time you'll ever see a McCartney Harrison writing credit before the Lennon McCartney partnership was created. Quarrymen. The Quarrymen, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, John Lennon, and I think, I think there was a couple different band names that f- floated around, and then the Quarrymen was who uh, Paul saw him play. It was a skiffle band that he saw play um, the day that they met, and then I, I actually heard a recording that surfaced recently of the day of the, their meeting, the, the the very first day they ever met. There was a someone has a bootleg of that performance of the Quarrymen prior to Paul's joining. Whoa. So Paul joined and then brought George in later on. They, the first thing they ever went to do in the studio, and I believe it was 1958, was In Spite of All the Danger. And that was the B-side to um, their first single, which was That'll Be the Day. Well, that'll be the day when you say goodbye. Yeah, that'll be the day when you make me cry. I say you're gonna leave. You 
When the anthologies came out, I think it was around the holidays, it was like we just sat in front of the, the TV and we watched with my dad, like all the VHS. And then I remember hearing and then sort of noting the history of this is the first, you know, like in spite of all the danger, that's the first thing that they ever did or recorded and wrote together. Well, I've never heard it before. So it, I mean, can you describe in words what what you yeah, hear? Like it, it's, yeah, well, it's a, you know, I guess what it's like a six, eight or, you know, that, that typical swung. It's almost country in nature, you know, in, in, in some ways. And it's, uh, it's John singing the lead. Um, it's still, uh, I think some folks might not be able to identify. I never have a problem identifying their voices, but sometimes people do. But mm-hmm. he's not hes not quite the distinct Lennon, I think, that some people know him to be in his later career. But but I still, you know, you recognize him there. And then there's um, there's some cool backups and a nice little lead part from, from George. hearing that song was there some kind of like magic in the first meeting what was the like can you i think for me well i think that it's when people place emphasis with stuff too you know like knowing i i i was basically told at that moment by my dad like this is the beginning of them this is them as they begin you know and so like i had already the 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 fantastic nature of of who they were was sort of established already to me and you know they were idols already um, very much so and then then I was basically discovering you know the very first thing they ever did and also the fact that I think McCartney was 16 at the time maybe George was 15 John was 16 or 17 I mean that's remarkable to be doing what they were doing at that time it's like anything any of my first demos I'd be very embarrassed to hear you know (laughs) I I would never torture anybody with my (laughs) Yeah. Early demos. Yeah, I don't even torture myself with this stuff. Well, you're part of a musical songwriting duo. Exactly. Which is, was that kind of, is that part of that? Like, I'm going to make music, but I'm going to find <laughs> someone who I can write songs with? There's so many perks to it, you know? There are, well, like, because it's sure. like, you know, you, you don't get as worn out trying to sing an entire set um there's also you have personality to to b sections and a sections it's you know like whenever i hear a song like um uh what is life is very life Life is very short we can work it out yeah we can work it out we can work it out life Whenever I hear the two, I mean, the two sections, that's a, there's many examples of them putting their pieces together and just saying, this is mine, this is yours. Abbey Road. Yeah. And then I love, I love hearing 
uh, like it's like personality changes, you know, because everybody sings different, speaks differently. And then when Jesse and I enunciate things, sometimes we do land very close to each other and people can't tell us apart, I think. Happens quite a bit. But there's times where we specifically, I will specifically take a part that is, you know, the chorus to one song when Jesse sings a verse or the opposite. Well, and we're able to <clears throat> cater to our own strengths that way because yeah. a lot of times we'll be working on something and mm -hmm. there's a cool melody there, but it's like, man, I can't. I can't deliver that, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, but I can give it to Josh, and he'll be able to deliver it, and we can kind of swap ideas that way. So you can actually write a melody that you don't have to sing. Absolutely. Like okay. Yes. And so then, do you do you also do do the thing like um um I interviewed Bob Boylan for this podcast, and he chose a day in the life. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about that song is like the John the part that John wrote is like so mm -hmm. sad and like so kind of. What is it's like a commentary? And then, it's a commentary, and mm -hmm. then you have the part that Paul wrote, which is like woke slice. up, got out of yeah, it. You know? slice alive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, do you guys do that too? Will somebody write mm -hmm. the chorus? And like, I've got a good chorus, but I can't think of a verse. So that's becoming a new thing that we're doing. That wasn't as common before, but it's something that that we're doing now, um, where basically we send phone memos back and forth. It's like modern technology. You know, we're we're texting phone memos and then playing them from like an iPad and then recording a <laughs> oh, harmony no. on top I'll have of one phone here playing what he sent me and then recording that onto this phone while I sing the part yeah along with it and mm -hmm. it's confusing but it's good. the funny thing that's the one thing I'll say too though is that like the best thing for writer's block is having your songwriting partner send you something incredible and you're like so funny. <laughs> and, then, and then you and then because that's what happened I mean and I know that ultimately and I, I hear all the time from historians that that happens you know and the greatest songwriting partnerships but for us it's absolutely the case I mean I know there are specific songs that that came about because I wrote a song, sent it to Jesse, he was like floored, he wrote something, sent it back to me, and I was floored, so I wrote something, sent it back to him, and then we're basically just, you know, going back and forth. A little snowball. Next Trying thing to outdo each other. Yeah, man. Yeah. And it reached the bar. Yeah, and it's, it's so, it's, I mean, you know, and sometimes it's like anything else, you, you're always critical of what, you know, it's nice too, having a songwriting partner is some, I've experienced in bands where you've got something and you see the kernel. Uh, of what you know, you you're able to look at the kernel and see what the larger image is or larger the, the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. But getting everyone else um, enthusiastic about going through the hauling the load to get to that place is not as easy always. Yeah. And so when you have one other person who can help showcase that or or will have enough faith in you that you know where it's going, and then will go along for that hard part of the ride, then the two of you can present something that resembles. You know, much more potential than what you might only be able to present yourself. We can work it out. And so, what about you, Jesse? What What's a good? Do you have a song in mind? I mean, yeah, there's a couple. It's something I've <clears throat> I've been mulling over this, trying to figure out. Like, and there's just not one song. Oh, I mean, I, that's the thing. It's like it's not hard to figure out a song. It's hard to narrow it down. There's two more songs that come to mind. There's it's getting better all the time. It's getting better all the time. I used to get mad at my school. Can't the teachers that taught me went cool. It's getting better all the time. I'm jamming that with my dad, and it just made me so happy, and it inspired me to to make happier music. Uh, or at least to, to try to learn to do something like that. And then when I was a little older, like 11, I used to listen to that song yesterday, every night. Yesterday, 
All my troubles seem so far away Now it looks as though they're here to stay Oh, I believe in yesterday And it just broke my heart, but it was like the best. It was the best heartbreak. I, you know, I wanted that and I looked forward to it every day and it would just, it really solidified the idea of, of songwriting specifically. It wasn't about uh, recognition or achieving anything or going anywhere. It was just about honing that craft. We interviewed Sweet Spirit, another, uh -huh. or Sabrina uh -huh. and Andrew, who uh -huh. are another songwriting duo. And Sabrina had a great line. She's like, if you want to know about songwriting, which is, I can't remember what, exactly what she said. She's like, which is the conveying of emotion through words and music such that you create empathy in the listener. And uh -huh. I was like, yes, uh -huh. that, that uh -huh. thing. Well, you also like, want, to, you want to show them empathy, too. Uh, I think that something everyone who listens to music is looking for is the sense that they're not alone. People feel isolated, and there's a lot going on inside of a person that they don't know how to channel, and they don't know how to communicate it. But we as musicians, as artists, it's kind of our job to harness those emotions and and stick all those ingredients together and make the cake and then let people take a bite. Was that something that you learned when you heard a song uh, like yesterday? What, songwriting? Or? Yeah, like, did your parents talk to you about music and, like, the purpose of music they, and stuff? Uh, they just... It was lead by example. They just did music all the time. Um, my dad showed me a couple of things on the guitar. It was just one, four, five. The super old school thing. And I just kind of took it from there. And I didn't start songwriting until, uh, what is that, eighth grade? Yeah, seventh or eighth grade, I started playing with songwriting. And uh, that was, I was listening to Tom Waits a lot at that time. My dad was had introduced me to this song called Tom Traubert's Blues. Most people know it as Waltzing Matilda. And that is another just heartbreaker. See you tomorrow If Frank and a borrow A couple of bucks from you To go Waltzing Matilda singing about like blood and whiskey and just classic Tom Waits dark stuff but it was so beautiful there were strings and and the upright piano and just everything about it was a slow dance and there was something about conveying all that pain and just sad imagery but the music turning that around turning it into something beautiful to where you could experience all of those emotions, but it wasn't a sad thing. It was actually a happy thing. More cathartic than anything else? Maybe so. Yeah. And that inspired me a lot uh, as far as the content of my songwriting. I would like to to be able to harness pain and, and things that we all carry with us and be able to kind of transform that into something healthier. I, I have a, I want to return <clears throat> to yesterday for a second, though. Like you, So you're 11, and you would put it on every night? I did that for a while, yeah. Just to feel like... <laughs> just, just to feel the song. <laughs> it still breaks my heart. I, was, I texted him at work. I was having an emotional day, and I was doing Pandora, and I heard that song, and I started texting him like, man, the, the feeling of this song is just timeless and never goes away. Mm -hmm. and, and it just was breaking me. Like, I'm looking around like, hoping no one sees me. Yeah. You know, um... <clears throat> yeah, no, I looked forward to it, and I did that every night, and I remember trying to learn the song, and I still can't figure out that second chord. 
Keith showed me, and I'm like, Whew. Oh, the second chord on, on yesterday? Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. That one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um... You just gotta listen to anthologies, remember? It's gonna be an F down. It's gonna be an F. It'll be an F for you. Yesterday. I'm in G, but it'll be an F. It goes E minor to A seventh to D minor. <laughs> it's gonna be a weird F. Would they say? I mean, I haven't mm-hmm. listened to the anthologies. Like they would two, talk to, to each other. And yeah, the, F E minor A seven. But he's tuned down a whole step. Okay. Oh, wow. tricky, <gasps> tricky business. Burgess Meredith and like seriously I am fascinated listening to songwriting partners I mean we've talked to songwriting duos before Joss Whedon and Shawnee Kilgore Sabrina and Andrew from Sweet Spirit and A Giant Dog we had Kelsey Wilson from Wild Child talking about her songwriting relationship with Alexander Beggins and like I just think it's so cool when two people are continuously able to be positive, creative feedback loops for each other. I also learned during the making of this episode that my husband owns the entire Beatles anthology, like the book, the documentary, the album set, and I've never really dug into any of it. The Beatles are like Pink Floyd for me. They just kind of are. But now I know that I can actually get inside their story and see the music from a different angle, like the before it was finalized angle. And that's exciting. If you liked any of the songs you heard on this podcast and want to hear them all the way through, you can check out the Spotify playlist on the This Song page for this episode. There you'll find every song that we referenced all the way through. Plus, I'll post a link to Burgess Meredith's Studio 1A performance from last year so you can get more Burgess Meredith in your life. And that's it. We have come to the end of another episode of This Song. This Song is a production of KUTX 98.9. This episode was produced and edited by David Sanger and me, Elizabeth McQueen, with help from Art Levy. Cliff Hargrove recorded the interview with Soak, and I recorded the interview with Josh and Jesse. Taylor Wallace has taken over our Instagram and is doing a great job. You should go check it out. Our handle is at this song KUTX. William Maxwell is our excellent intern. And yes, our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own excellent hardproof Afrobeat. They have a new live record out on Jim Eno's public hi-fi records. You should check it out. You can email us at thissong at KUTX.org or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Our handle is at thissongKUTX. You can like us on Facebook, and you can subscribe to this song along with the other KUTX podcasts, liner notes, song of the day, and Austin Music Minute on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And like I said, while you're there, we'd love a rating or a review. Right on. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. (laughs) 
Support comes from Austin Water, helping residents reduce water use while protecting Austin's precious resource during the drought conditions with MyATX Water, providing near real-time water use data, tips, and leak alerts. More at austinwater.org.